Paul tells the Thessalonians to encourage each other with words. The words of encouragement I bring to you today come from our stories in the book of Joshua and the Gospel of Matthew. Listen up and wake up. Joshua calls together all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. Listen up, he says. I have something to tell you. He reminds them that the Lord God, the God of Abraham, brought them out of slavery and through the wilderness to the land under their feet. This same God, Joshua says, is a jealous God. They must serve him, not other gods. Can't have it both ways. Will they worship the gods they left behind them? The gods they picked up along the way? The gods in the land they have come to? Or will they worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses? The Amorites and the Canaanites had lots of gods. Among them were a god who demanded the sacrifice of children, a goddess of fate, a god of thunder and lightning, a god of fertility, a goddess of fire, a god of the underworld, of the dead, a goddess of love and lust, a god of plagues and healing, and twin gods of dawn and dusk. Today, Joshua tells them, you must decide who will be your God. Choose for yourself, he tells them. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Israelites protest, far be it from us that we should abandon the Lord God for other gods, they answer. The Lord has protected us, brought us to this place. If you forsake him, Joshua tells them, you will be in trouble. The Lord is a jealous God. Here Joshua brings them back to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. No, they protest. We shall serve only the Lord. There is a clue here, however, that some of them are apparently still hanging on to other gods. Put away the gods that are among you, Joshua tells them. They are apparently hedging their bets. They promise to serve only the Lord God, but still have other gods tucked away, hidden in their dresser drawers. Listen up. Whom will you serve? The theologian Paul Tillich defines faith as what he calls our ultimate concern. Whatever your ultimate concern is, in other words, that's where you'll find your gods. Whatever matters most to you, there you'll find your gods. Wherever you spend most of your time, there you will find your gods. Whatever you think about the most, 
There you will find your gods. Whatever you collect or accumulate, whatever you protect, there you will find your gods. Listen up, Joshua tells the tribes. Whom will you serve? What is your ultimate concern? If Joshua tells the Israelites to listen up, Jesus tells those listening to him to wake up. He tells them the story of ten servants, ten maids, waiting for the bridegroom. And some manuscripts add, and the bride, waiting for them to return from the house of the bride's father for the wedding feast. The servants are to have everything ready for them when the bride and groom come home. The feast must be prepared, the wine poured, the band ready to play, and all the lights on. This story Matthew has placed just before two other parables of judgment. The story of the talents, some of them used and others hidden away, with harsh judgment coming to the one who hid them and did not use what was given to him, and the story of the judgment of the nations by the Son of Man. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. When did we do these things for you? they ask him. If you did it for them, he says, you did it for me. If you didn't do it for them, then you didn't do it for me. All these parables are about waking up, about getting ready. Wake up, Jesus says. We are coming to the last three Sundays of the Christian year. November 22nd is sometimes called the Reign of Christ Sunday or Christ the King Sunday. It's what used to be called Judgment Sunday. A reminder that one day, justice and judgment are coming. A reminder that evil and death will not, in the end, have the last word. Instead, a merciful and just God will have the last word and will set things right. All of these texts are like an alarm that jars us from our sleep. We look at the clock and we can hardly believe our eyes. It's later than we thought. To our horror, we realize that we have overslept. The night is gone and it's time to get up. Time to get out of bed. Time to get dressed. Time to grab your coat. Time to get out the door. There's no time to shower or eat breakfast. Wake up, get going, or you'll miss the bus. Back to our parable of the ten servants, five of them smart and five of them stupid. Why are five of them stupid? They're the ones who haven't kept their lamps lit. They've fallen asleep and run out of oil. The bride and bridegroom were delayed. 
Unlike the smart servants, the stupid servants didn't plan for that responsibility. So they run out, they go to the store to get some more oil, and the store, of course, is closed. And when they return, not only have the bride and bridegroom come back, but they have locked the doors behind them. And the stupid servants are stuck outside the wedding feast. In the Hebrew scriptures, in the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, Israel is the bride and God is the bridegroom. In the Gospels, Jesus is the bridegroom. In Matthew 9.14, John's disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, Why is it that your disciples do not fast like we do or like the Pharisees do? The bridegroom is still at the wedding, Jesus tells them. And while he's at the wedding, his guests do not fast. Soon enough, the bridegroom will be gone, and then they will fast. The point of this parable, the bridegroom, the Son of Man, will soon be coming back. So wake up. Get ready. You don't want to be left outside. Bob Dylan sings, West of Jordan, east of the rock of Gibraltar, I see the turning of the page, curtain rising on a new age. I see the groom still waiting at the altar. There is in Jesus' parables in Matthew 25, a sense of urgency, the sense that time is running out, that it's time to wake up and get ready because God is turning the page and the curtain is rising on a new age. These stories have been used by apocalyptic preachers for ages, and they've been used as threats and cudgels to try to scare the hell out of us. I can remember from my childhood some stem-winding sermons of hellfire and judgment which just left me terrified of God. Glenn Weiberg once told a story about a friend who told him, if it weren't for hell, I wouldn't be a Christian. I wonder, Weiberg asked, if it's possible to be a Christian for the wrong reasons. Of course it is. And if you are motivated more by threats than you are by mercy, that says more about you than it says about God. It says more about your stuff than it does about God's stuff. If you read and listen to these stories as a threat, you are missing the point. As I have said many times before, threats change behavior, but mercy changes people. There is mercy in wake up, it's only a threat if you ignore it. When I was a sophomore in college, I took an early morning class in world literature from Dr. Carl Olson, the president of North Park College. K.O. was a marvelous teacher. He had gravitas. He had command presence. He was brilliant, and he was scary. He did not suffer fools.
If you took one of his classes and he only taught one class a year, you were expected to prepare. You were expected to participate in discussion. You were expected to answer the questions he put to you. If he called on you and you did not answer, you would be told to leave the class. You would be humiliated, or so it was said. And if you arrived late to class, forget it. The door would be locked, your absence noted in the class list, and God help you. It was an eight o'clock class. One morning, I woke up late. I looked at the clock, and it was 7.50. I'm dead, I thought. I'm through. I jumped out of my bunk, and I threw on my clothes, and I dragged a comb through my hair. I grabbed my books, and I headed out the door. I ran from the dorm through campus. I imagined my humiliation when I stumbled into class late. It was five minutes after eight. The door would be locked. If it wasn't, I would be asked to leave. And then, as I rounded a corner on campus, I noticed movement to my left. I turned and looked, and there was Carl Olson himself, walking from his office toward me. He was late, too. Good morning, Steve, he said with a smile. They can't start class without us, can they? We walked to class together. We laughed. We enjoyed the glory of a new morning. And we walked late into class together to the surprise of my classmates. Needless to say, I never overslept again. Grace changed my behavior. Threats change behavior, but mercy changes people. These parables of Jesus are parables of mercy, even the parables of judgment. They get our attention. They wake us up. They remind us that there is still time, that the story isn't over. The end of the story has yet to be written. God writes the end of the story with us, and there is mercy on every page. It's never too late, and in Christ, God comes looking for us. God comes alongside us. God walks with us. God shows up. Joshua's words to the Israelites were not so much a threat as it was an invitation. It was a word of mercy from the God of fresh starts. Choose whom you will serve. Will you serve the God of Abraham, whose love never fails? Will you serve the God who made you, who called you by name? Will you serve the God who heard your cries and delivered you? Will you serve the God who has never given up on you? Or will you serve empty gods you have made for yourselves or picked up like cheap souvenirs along the way? Choose for yourself. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Amorite and Canaanite gods are long past. 
but we have other gods in our lives. In Paul Tillich's words, what is your ultimate concern? What matters most to you? There you will find your gods. Take an inventory. Maybe they are the gods of work and success, the god of money, the god of power, the god of personal gratification, the gods of hatred and lingering resentment, the god of pride, the god who stirs up the worst in us, the god who tells us that we ourselves can be gods. The Lord rips the veneer off of our empty gods and reveals them for what they are, all the while calling us back home, reminding us who we are and who we were created to be. The door is not locked. It's not even closed. It's wide open. The groom's still waiting at the altar, waiting for us. It's never too late to turn around. Never too late. Listen up. Wake up. A merciful God looks for you and is looking for you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the grave who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, and whose love is from everlasting to everlasting. Amen.